Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. Uh, you know, we come to a time in our worship service where we uh, we worship the Lord by receiving an offering. We don't pass buckets or plates, but we've got some black boxes on the walls here. And there's a, a black box out there you can give on Venmo. All, all the different ways to give are up there. Text, whatever it may be. Um, the, I just want to tell you two little things about uh, about giving. Number one, we want to be wise stewards of the resources of our church. Everything that we do, every everything, every bit of, of, of money really that we spend is spent in, in fulfilling uh, our mission, which is in our little local neck of the woods is helping people find their way back to God and grow. And so that's the yardstick. Is it helping somebody grow or is it leading someone to the foot of the cross? You know, things like last weekend Easter, which was a beautiful day. You know, the Lord provided a blue skies, a beautiful day. Um, I had somebody tell me that their forehead got sunburned, and I said, well, I put SPF 75 on mine. But it was a beautiful day, and it was a beautiful worship experience. Uh, we had several people give their life to Christ, which is the whole purpose of why we exist. That should have got an amen or, like, something. Um, you know, we had a seven-year-old kid who gave his life to Christ and said um, his mama asked him why he wanted to be baptized, and he said, because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and that's what I'm supposed to do. At seven, y'all, like that was um, just amazing. And so in this week, we found out that there were several other people. So next Sunday, we're going to have to have a few more people that are going to take the God plunge. So I want you to, to, to be here for that. Anyway, um, I went down a rabbit trail. There's a shocker. <clears throat> but, you know, the generosity of the people in our church family, it fuels the ministry. It fuels the homeless ministry. It fuels the foster care ministry. It fuels, it fuels the, the, the life movement that is being birthed in Columbus um, to sort of jump in the spiritual battle with uh, the abortion clinic in Columbus. All the, the, y'all's generosity is what fuels all of that. So let me say a prayer over that, and then we'll jump into, uh, we'll jump into our message. Lord, we love you today. We are honored and privileged to be able to to give. We're honored and privileged to, to be able to be generous. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take the resources in our church, give our leadership wisdom to, to use those resources wisely. Lord, we pray that you would bless the resources, that you would double and triple it, that everything that we do would bring you honor, bring you praise, and bring you glory that you and only you deserve. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. I want to say one or two little things. Number one, uh, I want y'all to keep Derek uh, Moore, Richard Moore's son, Richard Moore, our men's pastor. His son is battling uh, acute myeloid leukemia. Richard is up there now. He had a uh, Derek had a stem cell transplant Wednesday, and and I just want to say if y'all would just keep praying. Uh, Derek's got the greatest attitude, the greatest outlook on life because he knows he as a believer he knows we win. At the end of the day, we win. And so just keep them in your prayers. You know, we are, last week we started uh, a series. It's kind of odd that we started a series on Easter, but, but the resurrection is about new beginnings. It's about new things. It's about new life. You know, Paul calls us a new creation. And so we started a series called the Easter Challenge last Sunday, and we're going to be in that series for three or four maybe messages, maybe four or five messages. And then after that, 
because we're talking about the resurrection, we're talking about uh, the ascension, and we're talking about the birth of, the ch of, of Christ's church. And so three or four weeks when we're done with this, we're going to jump into the, to the book of Acts, and we're going to walk through Acts for several months, verse by verse. It'll be really, really, uh, it'll be a really good time. And so we're, today we're in the second in this series called the Easter Challenge. And so we're talking about Christ Church, and we're talking about local churches as well. And I want to tell you this, that nobody disputes that church attendance for 10 years, 10 or 12 years around the globe, particularly in America, church attendance uh, has gone down. Matter of fact, 2020 marks the first time that those who would say they belong to a church fell below, in the United States, fell below 50%. It's 47%. Back up 21 or 22 years ago, 1999, that number was 70%. Last year, it dipped down to 47%. Now, I would say this, though. It's not, the issue is not as black and white as that may seem. Tom Rainer, who is a writer, he said this. He said the number one reason for the decline in church attendance is that members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. A few, uh, you know, 20-ish years ago, someone who said, I'm active in the church, I'm a member of a church, I belong to a church, if they said they were active, that, that, the definition of that was that they were there you know, two or three times a week. In today's world, the average person that says, I am a member or I attend a local church somewhere is 2.3 times a month. And so that, that there's a difference. A big part of the change, I think, is that it isn't necessarily that there are fewer believers, but there are fewer folks involved. The consistency of their involvement in all things Jesus has just kind of gone down. There's, no, there's tons of reasons, probably. I want to give you just a few. I can tell you this, and I compare it to when I was a kid. Moms and dads in today's world put a, a, a super high focus on their kids' activities. When I was a kid, and I wasn't, I wasn't Christian. My family wasn't Christian. But we didn't, I didn't play football on Wednesday nights. I didn't play football on Sundays. There was no such thing as having baseball practice or football practice on a Wednesday or a Sunday. There wasn't soccer tournaments on Sundays. It just kind of didn't happen 20 and 30 and 40 years ago. And so those kind of commitments, by their very nature, they cut into the life of the church. You got blended and single-parent families that are all the time, they got to split their time up. In the days of COVID that we've been in, in for a, a year plus, you got streaming worship services. Now, thank the Lord for streaming worship services. Now, we've been streaming for, I don't know, six or seven or eight years. But thank the Lord that, you had, that we had that so that when people had to be at home, that they could get the word, you know, via their phone or a TV or whatever. But some folks have gotten, and this is a fear, man, of, of churches all over the place, that people have gotten complacent. Complacency is terrible. But people have gotten complacent laying in the bed on Sunday morning in their pajamas and, and watching church on TV, isolated from the body. You think the devil wants you here locking arms with other believers? Or do you think he wants you at home? You ain't got to go to church. You can just, you can have church at home all by yourself. Y'all, he wants you isolated he, because his attack is much more um, vicious and really, truthfully, he has greater success when we're isolated from the body. I would say this. People sometimes uh, today don't feel guilty about missing church anymore. Now, 
That last one, I'm glad. Because I'm telling you this, God does not have guilt for you. God, God does not have for you to feel guilt. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Guilt is not. Now, I hope that the Holy Spirit is nudging people and convicting them to jump back into wherever, if you're watching online, wherever you are, to jump back in with a gathering of the saints, with a gathering of believers. And I'm telling you that guilt is a terrible reason to do anything. It's not a long-term sustainable reason to do anything. So we're not talking about guilt. We're talking about a little nudge from the Holy Spirit. Now, you talk about these, these trends that we see, and there's lots of pastors all over America that get freaked out by those trends. They get disgusted, maybe. They get frustrated with these changes in culture, these changes in society, but I ain't scared. You know, in the South, that's S-K-E-E-R-E-D. I ain't scared. Like, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm certainly not disgusted because these are the times that you and I have been given. These are the times that God in his sovereignty and his providence, he could have made me a pastor at any time in history. Well, he didn't. He did it now. He could have made y'all Christ followers. He could have made y'all be in a church somewhere any time in history, but he didn't. He's chosen in his providence to have us here together in 2021. Now think about, let me back up to the Old Testament. First Chronicles chapter 12. This is a kind of a listing of David's mighty men, his warriors. It's the, the folks that come alongside of David to help him, to assist him, to prop David up. And we talked about one of them a couple of weeks ago. His name was Benaiah. And Benaiah is the guy that jumped in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. So we talked about him. But in, here in, in chapter 12 of 1 Chronicles, the chronicler is, is saying and he's, he's talking about all the different groups of people that are coming alongside of King David. And so he says of the Benjamites, this many came alongside. And of the tribe of Judah, this many people come alongside. And of the Levites, this many. And here, and he goes on and on about that. And here in verse 32 he says this. He says of Issachar, men who had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. And so maybe that verse Maybe it simply means that these men understood the times in which they lived and they understood the times to such a degree that they knew they had discernment and they had wisdom and they knew that David was going to be a better king than Saul would be. Maybe that's, maybe that's what that verse means, what that passage means. It may be that these people had, these men had a better understanding of war, of fighting, of politics. I don't know, but I know this. I know this verse kind of gives us, and the thrust of that passage, it gives us two options. Number one is we can ignore the times that we live in, and we can just watch the times pass by. you got a chooser. You can choose to sit on your couch and play video games all day long while the world just passes by you, while lost people die in the streets every day. You can do that. I mean, you can. And you can say, hey, it's not my, it's not my deal. It's not my responsibility. I don't feel like doing that. You could do that. Or you and I can understand the times that we've been given, God's sovereignty. We can understand that the times that we live in, and we can respond to those times with Jesus-infused wisdom, Jesus-diffused uh, godly wisdom, godly discernment, and we can do something. 
And I'm going to tell you this. Just as the men, Issachar's men, they put their lot in with David, in with King David. I can tell you that for me and Susan, that we are putting our lot in with Church on the Trail for this time in history, 2021. And I don't know, y'all hear this, like I don't know if there's ever been a time in history when God's church could be so relevant. We have this opportunity to be so relevant. Number one, we also have an opportunity to, to, to accept the desperate need that is in the world. We could be so relevant, and we are desperately needed, desperately needed. It's a golden opportunity for God's church. And I'm not, I am talking about our little church here in Columbus, Georgia for sure, but I'm talking about the church all over the planet. And I have hope. I have huge hope. One of the reasons that I have hope for the church is that Jesus is the one who established it. Not only did Jesus establish it, he promised that it would prevail. And he didn't, his, his promise that it would prevail was not conditional. His promise that it would prevail is that regardless of the times, regardless of the circumstances that the church faces, the church will prevail. Matthew chapter 16. You know, Jesus says, who am I? Who do people say that I am? Peter rightly identifies Jesus as the Messiah. You are the, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God, Peter says. And then in verse 17, Jesus responds to Peter's declaration of who he is. And in verse 17, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now let me, as an aside, let me tell you this. Peter ain't the rock. The rock is Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. Don't, don't get that jacked up. Peter, it's a play on words that Jesus is using. We'll get to that in a second. The confession that Jesus is the Christ is the rock upon which the church is built. And so Jesus, in this passage, he establishes the Christian church. And that Greek word that's used for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia is a local gathering, a local assembly of believers. And it's interesting to note, as another aside, that whenever the word church is used in Scripture, it never, ever, ever, never, ever refers to a building. This building that we're all sitting in is not the church. The gathering of people is a church. Uh, we, we are the ecclesia. You and I together, we are this local gathering, and it's not a gathering so we can have a party. It's a gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. That's an ecclesia. And this, the Greek word that is used for, for Peter in this passage is Petros. The Greek word for rock is Petra. You think we're having a Greek class. I promise you we're not. I just want to, I don't want us ever to misconstrue that Peter is the rock upon which the church is built. He is not. Jesus is using those, the Greek, he's using those words kind of as a play. Jesus is the foundation of everything that the church is and does. The church is built on the platform and the foundation of Christ. Peter very well may be the first stone that Jesus kind of lays because of the declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you are a believer today, if you're watching online or if you're sitting here and you are a Christ follower, you have declared the very same thing that Peter declared. And by that declaration and that belief and that saving trust that you place in the Christ, 
you and I are also part of the church that was birthed so long ago. Y'all, we, me and you, as the body of Christ, we have a tremendous responsibility. We have a tremendous, a huge, a, a ginormous responsibility. Look at verse 19. This is kind of where I want to land is in verse 19. Jesus says, he continues on. <clears throat> he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, let me tell you what the keys are not. The keys are not some, some ability that you and I as Christ followers have to forgive sins. God forgives sins. Only God forgives sins. Only God can save people. So this is not, the keys to the kingdom are not some weird ability to go down some line and say, you're saved and you're saved and you're not and you're not and you, oh, you definitely are not and you are and you're, no, that's not, that's not what the keys to the kingdom of heaven are. No. What does it mean then that we as a local church, as a local body of Christ followers have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and have the power to, to bind and to loose things on earth and in heaven? What does that mean? Well, let's just say that the, that the gospel is a, is a loaded 2020 Mustang Shelby 3T, uh, GT350, 600 horsepower. You got any car people? Not one car person? Well, a Shelby GT350 is a bad ride. So let's say that's the gospel. That car has all the power that it needs to do the work that it's going to do. It's inherent in the car. It has all the power. You ain't going to help the car along by opening the door and kind of pushing outside the door with your foot. You're not going to. It has the power. It has the power. It's inherent in it. And so imagine that Jesus comes up to you and he says, here's the keys, my child. Where are you going to take it? That's what I believe this passage is saying. Y'all, a Shelby is meant to be driven fast, meant to go tearing full of Jesus freaks tearing out of the parking lot and flying down J.R. Allen at 140 miles an hour. Now, don't be bringing me the ticket. But that's, that is meant to be driven, y'all. The power to bring freedom and to break chains is found in the gospel. It's found in Jesus. And you know what? Jesus doesn't need us. The gospel doesn't, doesn't need us. But he places amazing and immeasurable value in each one of us. He desperately wants to, to be in relationship with us. He wants you and me to be part of his work. And so he says, here's the gospel, Marianne. Here's the gospel. Here's the keys. Where are you going to take it? That's what he says. The church has the authority. We're given the authority to bring the full power and the truth, 100% of the truth, not half a truth, but all of the truth, the full truth, the full power of heaven with the gospel to a lost and broken and sinful world. Or we can park it in the garage and talk about how cool it looks. We can do that. The church has done that for far, far, far too long. The church is meant to be driven. We're not meant to be sitting in here with the doors closed and be the biggest Bible scholars known to man. What good is that if we just look at each other and say, look how smart we are? That, that's, not what, that's not what Jesus has for us to do. 
And I'm going to say this, as long as, the, as long as Susan and I, as long as we have any kind of influence in, in this church, in this little slice of the ecclesia that, that, we, that we're in, this gathering that contains me, we're not going to pull the gospel out of the garage, give it a little buff and shine, listen to the engine purr, and then put it back in the garage so that it doesn't get dirty. It's not going to happen. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I'm telling y'all, man, as long as I have any sort of influence whatsoever, we're going to take the keys, we're going to fire that puppy up, and we're going to go burning rubber out of the parking lot because that is what we're supposed to do. That is the call. And we're going to see what this gospel of Jesus Christ has under the hood. Now, I hope that doesn't sound like heresy, but that is what we're going to do. And together with our arms locked, all of us with our arms locked together, we're going to see and experience what the freeing power of Jesus can really do in this little neck of the woods that we're in and on out into the world. And you know what? It'll get messy. Like I was going to say, it may get messy, but the reality is it's going to get messy. It's going to get dirty. The windshield may get a little cracked. The door may get a little ding. Mud may get slung up all over the back quarter panels. I don't know, but the, I do know this. That joker's meant to be driven. This church is meant to be driven. As Christ followers, we are meant to be driven. We have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. People die lost every day, and me and you got the keys to show them who Jesus is. How can we not? How can we not? So we will move, we'll move forward under the protection of his grace. We'll move forward by his power, the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll move forward in his Holy Spirit. And then we'll experience and we'll see that what gets loosed on the earth will be loosed in heaven and for all eternity. And you know what? There's another promise at, at the end of that passage. And that promise is that the gates of hell ain't got a chance. They don't have a chance. That should get like 100 amens. The gates of hell don't have a chance. It doesn't say they have half a chance. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And so the devil and his little scumbags, I don't know if I'm supposed to say scumbags in church, <laughs> the devil and his little, think about it. When you and I lock arms together, him and his little minions, his little scumbags in their little, their little staff meetings every day, when we lock arms together under the umbrella and the power of the Holy Spirit, they have no chance. They have no chance. And he's going to get up in your ear and say, try to shame you and try to guilt you. But the scripture says Jesus' words say that they don't have a chance, that, that the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know why? We lock arms, we're better together. We are so much better together. I've heard and probably even said before, and y'all have heard, I hate organized religion. I understand why, because I think for far too long throughout history, church history, we have forgotten our mission and we've forgotten our purpose. We've locked our mission and our purpose inside the garage, and we can't find the clicker to open the garage up. Sometimes we think that church is about structure and hierarchy and rules and regs and what it's actually about is the people that you and I are called to reach. What are Jesus' last words? Go read the end of Matthew 28. Read Acts 1.8. His last words. Last words are lasting words. And I too, I'm not crazy about that word religion. 
I don't want to be part of a religion. But the word organized is not a bad word because when we organize, we can get stuff done. We can get things that matter done when we organize. And God has called us for times like these. He's called us to gather and to find a way to live and to find a way to share and to find a way to spread the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have stuff in common. We have a common mission. We have a common purpose. We have a common call. And we can't complete it without each other. Don't y'all ever forget that we, can't, we need each other. Look at what Paul said, Romans chapter 12. He starts in verse 4. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. It would be terrible if we all had the same function. It would be terrible if we all had the same gifts. That's not the way God designed his church. It's not the way he designed me and you. It goes on in verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. If it's hospitality, use it. What are the next four words? Let us use them. If it's teaching, teach. Whatever it is. Whatever it's giving, give. Whatever. If it's mercy, be merciful. You know, if, if I have the gift of teaching and I don't teach, I say, no, 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 I don't want to teach. I'm going to sing worship. Y'all would hate it if I was up here singing. I need to do and you need to do and you need to be just bathing in the gifts that God has, has given you. And when we do that and we use them, as Paul says, the church clicks, the body of Christ clicks. And so when he says at the, at the end of verse 6, he says, let us use them. You know what he's saying? Get the keys off the dresser and fire the Shelby up and go tearing out of your driveway. Full. Don't do it alone. Load up 15 people in there. Screaming for Jesus going down J.R. Allen. That's what Paul is saying when he says let us use them. And you can, me and you can get a few things done probably by yourself. But it's like, it's like a thumb without a hand or fingers. A thumb without a hand or fingers is like, I guess, plug my ear because the music's too loud. That's all that it would be worth. But if I got fingers and a hand and a thumb, I can grab stuff and I can shape things and I can do things. And it, and it, and it works. It works. That's the body of Christ. Our different gifts, when they're working in conjunction with each other, it opens up ministry opportunities and gospel opportunities that you really could never imagine on your own. I know that you can't be all that you were created and purposed to be without us. And I know that we can't be all that we're created to be and purposed and fulfill our mission and our purpose. We can't without you. We need each other. We need each other. And, I, and so the trends around the world are church attendance is down. But we don't have to be subject to the trends of the world. We don't. Neither does any other church. That's why I said I ain't scared of all that. It just doesn't bother me. We're called to change, at least to play a role in changing and shaping our world together with the word of God, with the power of the gospel. And it's that power that God gave us when we come together. When we come together. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. That is why God tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 to not give up the meeting together. Don't give up meeting together as is the habit of some. 
You know, I'm not asking you to, 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 to add something to your already busy life. I'm suggesting to all of us that, that we all make the work of the kingdom a priority in our lives, that it permeates every little area of our life. If it's at work, the work of the kingdom ought to permeate work. God has put somebody in a cubicle next to you. God has put somebody on the other end of the phone with you. The gospel ought to permeate everything at work, at play, playing golf, four men on a golf course playing golf for three or four hours. If I'm playing, it probably takes six hours. But those men are there in that golf cart. There's an opportunity to, to talk about the Lord, whatever it is. If it's at school, it ought to permeate everything that we are. And just look at, at the verse 24. Verse 25 says, don't neglect the gathering together, right? But look at verse 24. He's saying, let us, who is us, me and you, let us consider, let us think about how to stir up one another. You know what that word means? It's like, it's like you're in the locker room at halftime and you're down by 14 points. And it's the speech that a good coach gives that team. And he stirs them up. He fires them up. A good coach at halftime down 14 points. That team is coming out of the locker room taking heads off, y'all. That is the Shelby flying down the tunnel onto the field. That's what we are called to do. Stir each other, stir each other up in, in love and in good works. And a major part of that, that, that work, it requires making consistently gathering together. It's got to be a priority in our lives. Me and you, we need, we need the church. We need each other. That need goes way beyond what, what we can do. It affects who we are and it affects who we become as we grow. And we find in the scripture that, that Jesus' followers are meant to be fueled up by, to be stirred up, Hebrews says, to be equipped by, to be connected to a local church. And we would love for you to be connected to church on the trail. But you don't have to be connected to church on the trail. But be connected somewhere. Y'all be connected somewhere. And the devil is going to do everything he can do to keep you from being connected somewhere. I just watch it on TV. Just watch it on your phone. They're live on Sunday mornings, 1045. But then you know what he's going to do? 1045 next Sunday, he's going to get in your ear and he's going to say, I sleep in. You can watch it on Monday. And then on Monday, he'll say, no, you got to go to work, man. You're busy. Just watch it when you get home from work Monday night. And before, before you know it, you're, you're disconnected from any local church and you hadn't even watched a streaming service in a month. And you're ripe for his attack. That's what happens. It just creeps. It doesn't happen 90 degrees, change all at once. It just kind of creeps down the road. So we need to gather. We need to gather. Paul said in Colossians in chapter 3, Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and uh, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of Christ dwells in you. Y'all, that is huge if you're a Christ follower. The word of Christ dwells among us. You and I are called to, on a daily basis to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into, into our relationship with him to experience this greater freedom that we have in Christ, to experience radical transformation 
life transformation. And sometimes it happens just like that. And sometimes it takes 15 years, 10 years, 20 years. But it's radical transformation. It's when you can say, oh my gosh, you should have seen me then. Look at me now. Look what he's done in my life. Undeserving as I am, look what he's done. Look at the work that he's done in my life. Radical transformation. Now the next line in, in verse 16 says, teach how he does it. Teaching and admonishing one another. We're accountable to each other. You lock arms with me, I'm accountable to you, you're accountable to me. Admonishing means uh, to correct or to, to caution or to urge some, some kind of life change. And it's scary. It can be a little scary, but at the same time, it is the powerful thing that happens when all of us lock arms together. Because I can be, all of us can be a little blind sometimes. We can all, sometimes we can all be a little off. We can be a little wrong. Because we all have blind spots, different blind spots, different strengths, different weaknesses, different experiences that we, that we bring to the table. Life experiences. And we're used to doing things one way. What's the one way that we're used to doing things, each of us? Our way. My way. My way. Because, of course, my way is better than your way. And I know better than you. I'll tell you what the scripture means. You don't need to be reading it yourself. Like, what kind of nonsense is that? He calls us to deny ourselves. Deny self. You want to grow to the next level in the way you're following Christ? Get beyond past your own self and your own voice and your own, in, quote, interpretation of Scripture. And I'm not saying that's the easiest thing to do, but who said things are easy? This book doesn't say life is easy. Who says being sold out and all in for anything is comfortable? Y'all, we're not called to be comfortable. We're not called, don't tell me I, that doesn't feel good. We're not called to be comfortable. Think about it, this morning, right now, last Sunday, any Sunday, any gathering, three things happen. Our individual growth, this is one of the purposes for gathering. Each one of our individual growths, number one. Number two is our corporate unity. Together, lock in arms, our unity. And then number three, our individual to fulfill kind of our individual and our corporate purpose. No wonder the Bible tells us don't neglect the gathering of the saints. And I'm going to say this. When we gather together, it's probably a rare thing that I say something up here that you hadn't already heard at some point in your life, that you hadn't, um, um, maybe that you didn't already even know. Reality is if I ever stood up here and I said, gave you a passage of scripture, and I said, hey, God gave me a new interpretation. You ain't never heard this one before. God gave me a new interpretation of this scripture. Here's what you can probably take to the bank. I'm wrong. You can probably take it to the bank that I'm wrong. There's 2,000 years of church history. People way smarter than Ed has ever dreamt of being who studied scripture 16 hours a day, every day for 50 years. So if I say that, the flag needs to go up and y'all need to question it. What most of the time happens here every week is we remind each other of the truths of God. We remind each other. And it reminds me of my mom and dad. Go to a checkup. Physically, they're fine. The doctor says that, uh, that the memory is starting to fail. This is seven, eight years ago. You may want to start writing stuff down. Anybody have parents that maybe need to 
start writing stuff down and my son's in this room, don't say my parents. So should start writing stuff down. Later that night, they're watching TV. And dad gets up, says to mom, want anything from the kitchen? She says, if you give me a bowl of ice cream. He said, sure, dear. Don't you think you should write that down? He says, no, I can remember a simple bowl of ice cream. She says, well, I'd like some strawberries on top too. Don't you think you need to write that down? He says, I can remember. You want a bowl of ice cream with some strawberries on top. She says, oh, you know what else? Put some whipped cream on it. I know you're going to forget that, Richard. My dad's name is Richard. You're going to forget that. Write it down. He says, I don't need to write it down. You want a bowl of ice cream with some strawberries on top and some whipped cream. For goodness sake, I'm not going to forget all that. 20 minutes later, he comes walking out of the kitchen, hands her a plate with bacon and eggs on it. And you know what she says? Where's the toast? <laughs> Y'all, one of the, our biggest problems is we need constant reminders of the truth. The truth. And not a little bit of the truth. Not a half a truth. Not a truth that's designed to be watered down to make you feel good. The truth ought to make you feel good. The truth of who Jesus Christ is, it ought to make you feel, what's going to make you feel better than that? So this is never going to be Jesus plus something or Jesus minus something. The world is desperately in need of the truth because in the world that all of us live in, there is a constant all-out attack on the truth. And when we gather here, whenever we gather, I want to do my best to remind us of the truth of God's word, the truth of who God really is, and the truth of who we are in Christ. You know, I get concerned that if we forsake meeting together, that the truth is what's going to hurt, that the truth will somehow go quietly walking off into the sunset. And when that happens, we will almost imperceptibly buy into the, and maybe even start living according to the lies of the world. I know when I get disconnected, I can probably quickly begin to question God's goodness or his power or his love or his involvement in, in my own life. Gathering here with y'all every week, gathering in Bible studies on Thursday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever it is, it keeps personally, it keeps me on track with what I believe. It keeps me on this sort of straight and narrow path. We need that. Y'all, we need that because we need each other. And we also, we gather together to bring real help and real support for life's difficulties. All of us realize, I'm assuming, that life is tough. Life can be difficult. The truth is every one of us is going to get hammered at some point, at some time, in some way. And when the tough times come for you, I want your church family to be the first line of defense to come up and support and love on you. And when, when it comes for me, because it's coming, I want you all to be there for me. Paul wrote some beautiful words about this, and I heard this on a on a Facebook Live week before last, I think. 2 Corinthians, he's chapter 1, right when he starts off. He says, Blessed be the God, of, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls him the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Well, why does he do that? Not so that we can say thank you and go sit on the couch and watch TV. No, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What a beautiful thing it is when you and I gather together 
and we extend the grace and the care of the Lord to each other. He shows me grace, I show you grace. He shows me love, I show you love. He shows me mercy, I show you mercy. That is a beautiful thing when the body does that. The last reason, maybe the most important reason that we gather every week is not about you and it's not about me, it's about the creator of the universe. Every week we come in here, we gather, we pray, we read God's word, we sing worship songs to him. We gather to worship because he is worthy of the worship. He is worthy of our praise. First Chronicles chapter 16 says, Ascribe to the Lord or give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Y'all, we need to worship God. To worship him is to declare who he is in the place that he has in our lives. We make that declaration when we do. Then our hearts and our minds line up with the truth of the worship. C.S. Lewis said the worship actually transforms us. He said in the process of being worshipped, God communicates his presence to us. Think about that. We worship him and he communicates his presence to us. When we worship together, we draw near to him. Jesus told us, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, an often, often, often quoted verse that I don't know that people really get their arms around. But it says, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Think about that. We gather, he is here. He is here. He is literally here. When you're at home with your family and you're praying together, he is with you. When you're in a growth group, you're studying scripture, he is with you. When you're gathering around a hospital bed, five of you gather around a hospital bed praying over somebody, he is with you. Like that is unbelievable. Kids side over there, 20, 30 kids over there and leaders worshiping. He is with them. He is in there with them. Think about that promise where two or three gather, I'm there. I am there. Think about that verse in a little different way. Now, even if that worship did, does nothing for us, we worship him for no other reason than he deserves it. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, said, Sometimes I go to God and I say, God, if you never answer another prayer while I live on earth, I'll still worship you as long as I live and in the ages to come because of what you've already done. He said, the debt I've got to you, if I live a million millenniums, I could never repay what you have done in my life. Let me tell you, God, we don't, we don't serve and worship a God that's got self-esteem issues. He doesn't. Like he needs our praise. Like he needs our worship. He needs nothing. He needs nothing. But he deserves everything. He deserves all of it. And our time together on Sunday morning or your time in a growth group or your time in a Bible study or your time in whatever gathering that you, where you are during the week, what a wonderful opportunity to just take a minute while you're, while you're there together to communicate your thankfulness to your Savior. He doesn't need it. You need it. There's nothing like the church when the church is working the way it's supposed to be working. And there's nothing that is so sickening and pathetic and tragic as the church when it's not working right. Is there anything more disappointing 
that a gathering of believers who have decided to park the gospel in the garage to keep it clean and safe and pure and untouched. What an amazing honor and privilege that God has given us when he gave you the keys. He gave you the keys. The power is in the gospel. And you have the keys to, to rev it up and go tell the world. Thank you. Y'all, our job, my job, your job, is to make sure the church is working right. That the Shelby's firing on all cylinders. We got to understand it's not about this building. It's not about the building that we're going to build down there on that property. It certainly isn't about a pastor. If I leave this church, it is with a desperate limp that I leave this church. So it's not about me. It's not about a worship pastor. It's not about a men's pastor. It's not about the elders. It's not about the staff. It's about the ecclesia. It is about y'all and it's about the people that we as a church are called to impact for Christ. That is what it is about. It's a gathering of Jesus freaks all under the umbrella of Christ. It's working right when every individual spoke in that wheel is taking his or her place in that ecclesia, sold out and understanding that they own the keys to the kingdom and busting down walls with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of his name and for the freedom of his people. For the sake of our little church, Church on the Trail, for the sake of your own personal growth, for the sake of the forever, potentially of the person sitting next to you, potentially for the sake of the forever of the person sitting on the couch next to you at home, or the child in the bedroom at home, or the mama or the daddy that are living with you, they just moved in, for their sake, gather together for the next four or five weeks and, and be part of this Easter challenge series. And y'all have heard me say the words, the gospel of Jesus Christ like 25 times today. And if you're here, if you're watching, and that doesn't really mean anything to you, you don't even know what that means, well, let me help you. Here's the gospel. Simple. A seven-year-old last Sunday. His life was transformed, not by Ed, not by the worship team, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life was transformed. It's super simple. I'm never going to get to the foot of the cross if I don't acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And my debt, that sin's got to be paid for. Who's going to pay for it? Me? I could with an eternity in hell. I chose 21 years ago not to do that because I know that that death on that cross Friday 2,000 years ago took care of it. Pay the debt because the debt's got to be paid for. Don't forget that the debt's got to be paid for. So I repent, which is not a 90-degree turn. I don't just turn away from the sin. I turn away from the sin and I turn towards God. That's what biblical repentance is I land at the foot of the cross I believe that his death paid that sin for my sin I repent turn away turn towards God confess with my mouth that he is the Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that he was raised three days later that's it you know what the scripture says if you confess and believe that way you will be saved it doesn't say you may be saved it doesn't say flip a coin even if it's a two-headed coin it doesn't say flip a coin it doesn't say there's about a 60-40 chance no, it says you will be saved. That's the gospel. If that is you today, watching or in here, and you've never said yes to that, you may have for 25 years thought you were a Christian, but you never had a full understanding of the gospel, and the Lord is convicting you right now. 
oh my gosh, I have not been a believer. I thought I was. I want to be saved right now. Let today be the day, y'all. Let it be the day. Let me pray for us. Lord, anybody in this room, it is so simple. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm desperately in need of rescue. And Lord, I, I own my sin. I need you. And Lord, I believe that you paid for that on that cross 2,000 years ago. And I believe in my heart that you walked out of that grave alive. Absolutely, 100% you went in dead and absolutely 100% alive you walked out. And I believe it. Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is you today, please let us know so you don't walk that journey alone. Our prayer team is back there in the corner. They would love to pray with you. Tackle me out there somewhere. I would love to talk to you. But don't walk that journey alone.